Our scripture lesson today comes from Acts chapter 1, and the book of Acts is written by the same person who wrote the book of Luke. So the book of Luke is a story of how the Spirit of God came to life in Jesus, and volume 2, book called Acts, is the story of how the Spirit of God came to life amongst the people. So hear these words from chapter 1 of Acts, beginning at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. May God bless this reading to our understanding. My husband Dave and I were lucky enough to spend some time in the national parks over the summer. We traveled to southern Utah and witnessed the stunning landscapes of geological formations carved out over some 200 million years. It was mind-blowing. Sometimes we had to check, are we still on Earth? It was so unbelievably different than any place I had ever been before. One of the highlights was a hike that we took in Zion National Park through an area called the Narrows. Now, I knew nothing about Utah before this trip, but I had seen pictures from friends who took hikes in Utah, and I had heard about this thing called the Slot Canyon. I had seen pictures of the Slot canyons in the travel magazines, and it looked cool to me, so I was determined we would try a hike through a slot canyon. But what no one told me until it was too late, or at least it felt too late to back out, was that the hike through this particular slot canyon would be a hike through a river. And so I put on the neoprene socks that we were issued and the waterproof boots and got the hiking stick that would work in water and we set out but then here came the problem there are these giant rocks underneath the water and you can't really see them when you're stepping through the river and I was just sure I was going to break an ankle on this hike and so I spent hours on this hike looking down at my feet trying to make sure that I didn't fall. Every now and then, Dave would shout over at me and say, Hey, honey, look up! And I would look up, and there would be this 2,000-foot canyon red wall surrounding us. And there would be this incredible natural waterfall, and there would be this beautiful sky in the slot of the canyon and the sunlight streaming through. And when we ended that hike, our feet were tired, our backs were aching, but our souls were filled with the majesty and awe and wonder of being enveloped 
by God's creation. Too often in my real life, perhaps in all of our real lives, we forget. We forget to look up. We plod through the narrows, trying to figure out where to take our next step so that we don't fall, but we forget to pause and look up and revel in the wonder of God's holy presence that envelops our very lives. And today's scripture tells a story like that. After Jesus was crucified and after Jesus rose on Easter morning, we are told that he appeared to various groups of his followers. He taught them, he encouraged them, he comforted them, he shared a fish supper with them, he broke the bread and shared the cup of wine with them, but then what? Various groups in Scripture, various stories in Scriptures tell us about how groups of folks experience Jesus' departure, but not one of them says he just exited. No, they all tell a story that is somewhat mystical, like the one we heard from John read by Chloe this morning about how the Spirit of God was breathing in Jesus and then suddenly breathing in his followers. Or the one that we read today from Acts, where Jesus promises his disciples that they will receive the Holy Spirit just before he is taken up on a cloud into heaven. And right before their eyes, they see this stunning scene and they gaze upward. What do you make of a scene like that? One commentator suggests that one way we might view a scene like that is to think of it as teaching something that's real. For example, do you remember in your middle school science class when the teacher pulled out a model to teach you the chapter on atoms? And there was this little plastic set of balls that portrayed atoms as a nucleus of small colored balls orbited by these electrons, pictured as other different size balls of various colors, and, and you looked at it, and you knew this isn't exactly what an atom looks like, but it helped you gain an understanding of the concept of this small thing that we couldn't see. And, and I wonder if that's what Axe is doing by painting this picture of Jesus ascending into the clouds to portray the reality that the Holy Spirit that was alive in Jesus is now poured out on the people throughout this earth. What words can you use to capture a mystery like God's holy presence? When Moses was out in the countryside and he experienced the voice of God, he said it was like a burning bush and the ground where he was standing felt like holy ground. And when Paul was on the road to Damascus and he experienced God's presence and God's call upon him, he said it was like this huge light that just knocked him to the ground. How do we capture the wonder and the awe of that moment in our own lives when we look up and God seems real? Sometimes we Christians, and, and I think we Protestants really do this a lot, we we reduce our faith journey to some kind of narrow plodding. We look to Christianity for moral guidance, and, it, and it's, it is that. And we gather with other Christians who are striving to make a difference in the world, and that's, 
really energizing and wonderful and important. And we believe that Jesus is the one who lived the kind of life that God thought human beings were meant to live on this earth. And that's critically important. But what about the spirit? Is our faith also infused with some kind of spiritual awe and wonder? Or are we just sloshing our feet through the rocky river bottoms, forgetting to look up and sense God's spirit all around us? I'm fond of the Jesuit priest, Anthony DeMello, who has written a number of spiritual books. But one of the things he said once that stuck with me forever was that we Christians sometimes simply need to wake up. Sometimes as a Christian, we just kind of sleepwalk our way through life. We, we set our lives on autopilot and we forget to notice the grandeur and the majesty of God's spirit among us. He, he tells it with a story. He said there, there was a father who went and knocked on his son's door. Jamie, wake up. And Jamie answers, I don't want to get up, Papa. The father shouts, get up, son. You have to go to school. I don't want to go to school, he retorts. Why not, asks the father. Three reasons, says Jamie. First, school is so dull. Secondly, all the kids tease me. And thirdly, I hate school. And the father responds without hesitation, well, I'm going to give you three reasons why you must go to school, son. One is, it's your duty. Second, you are 45 years old. And third, you are the headmaster. What are the ways in which each of us sometimes doesn't want to wake up to the divine presence of God all around us? Do we take time to pray, to meditate, do we immerse ourselves in whatever it is that reminds us of the Spirit of God? Maybe it's an early morning walk in the park, or an evening listening to a concert, or a book of spiritual poetry that just sits on the shelf that we haven't taken down in a while, or maybe it's a soulful conversation with a real close friend. Christianity is a way to experience God's Spirit, and many mystical leaders throughout the Christian tradition have been guides for us in looking up and sensing God's presence. One of those mystical spiritual guides was a woman named Teresa who lived in France in the 19th century. She became a nun, but she became ill with tuberculosis and died when she was 24 years old. Even as she struggled with a very serious illness, she was able to teach people around her about prayer. She said that prayer is not all that difficult, not all that complicated. Prayer, she said, is an impulse of the heart, a simple glance toward heaven. She says prayer expands the soul. And the word she used in French for expand is the word that we use in English, dilate. Like when you go to the doctor to get your eyes dilated to let more light in. And that's what prayer is, dilating the heart, the soul, to let God's light infuse our lives. The Christian life is an invitation to pay attention to the Spirit of God among us and to participate in that spiritual presence of God. But sometimes the Spirit just feels terribly distant. 
last winter when the pandemic numbers were at an all-time high and the days were so short and the Arctic blast seemed to settle over Kansas City and linger far too long, I felt like I was just keeping my head down and slogging through the days. About that time, our congregation was fortunate to host a webinar with leading scholars David Brooks and Miroslav Wolf. In that little half-hour time before the webinar began, we were just chatting together, and David Brooks mentioned that he had a friend who was writing a book on how Christian people can use all the technology in this world with a sense of wisdom. For example, he said this author gets up every morning and before he looks at any screen, any phone, any iPad, any television, any computer, the first thing he looks at is the sky. He's made it a rule. I will look at the sky every morning before I look at any electronic screen. I thought, wow, I could start doing that. And for weeks, I would wake up and I would peel back the curtain and I would look and see what color is the sky this morning. Is the moon still up? Is the sun coming up? Are there clouds? I would look at the sky. If I could, I would go out and take a walk before I picked up any electronic device. And just a few days after that, I was listening to a podcast and I heard a rabbi say that part of the ancient Jewish tradition, long before there was anything called a screen or an iPhone, was that a person was to get up every morning and first look at the sky. The purpose of the rabbi was to gain consciousness, to remember the vastness of God's universe and our place in it, a way to gain both mystical and psychological perspective because when we look up, we remember that God is spirit and that same spirit that was given to us by Jesus immerses us it surrounds us even now. Sometimes when I sit down with a family to plan a funeral, I, I will say, well, tell me about the moment when mom or dad passed. What was that moment like? And I rarely hear a story that is about a medical reality, a respirator, a, a nurse, a doctor. What I hear is a story about a yellow bird that came and perched on the window seal that morning, or a rainbow that appeared out the window just after the moment of death, or a song that played on the radio that was Dad's favorite song, or a gust of wind, or something that we hadn't experienced. And when I hear these stories, I wonder, is that happening all the time around us? but only at certain moments do our souls dilate so that we can actually sense God's presence among us. Carol Rotman wrote a, an essay in the Christian Century, oh, five or six years ago. She was describing her husband, a man of many words, big words, scientific words. Her husband worked in a lab, and he and his colleagues were often using very sophisticated language to describe the scientific experiments they were conducting. And when her husband came home, they would have these long, deep, meaningful conversations. He was a man of great words. 
but as he aged, dementia robbed him of his ability to use language. And one day, when he couldn't find the word, he said to his wife, Carol, bring me one of the blue things. One of the blue things, she thought. What? You know, he said, we used to have so many of them, but now I can't find one. I need a blue thing. You know, the things they always gave us at the bank. She thought, what is that? Is it a ruler? Is it a deposit slip? Is it a bank book? What is he thinking of? And about that time, he reached over to the bedside table and he grabbed a blue ink pen. And she, she realized she was not able to help him find the words anymore. But of course, the blue things that they got at the bank were the ink pens. As his condition progressed, words flew away. And he could only communicate with Carol now by a hand gesture or by some kind of expression on his face. Carol longed for him to give her just one more word, maybe even a blessing. But no words came until two days before his death, when their daughter came by the house to pray with her dad. And then he said, Our father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. <laughs>